0: Well, the house music's shut off. That must mean it's my turn. I was just just trying to hum the melody to O Come All You Faithful. We've practiced it four times, and I've started it wrong every time. So, you know, Merry Christmas. Uh, It's fun to be with you this morning. Welcome to Lighthouse Baptist Church. Uh, I would invite you to stand up with us. We're going to sing a Christmas song on the first Sunday of Advent. So... Um, you know, all ye faithful, let us adore him. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and trying. The door Good to adore, Amen, Amen. Why don't you have a seat? And I have some announcements for us this morning. Kind of a lot of announcements, and then, kids, I'm going to invite you up for our first uh, lighting of the Advent candle. So just give me a second, and then we'll do that. Um, first of all, an announcement: We had 120 boxes uh, from our Operation Christmas Child. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know how you are at math, but we don't have a 20, 120 people in this room. So well done, guys. That. That is an excellent, excellent uh, gift to the world. Um, men's breakfast is uh, next week, so the first Saturday of the month at Black Bear Diner. Come and uh, share some, you know, there's just something about coffee in a diner cup that is just the best thing ever. So, so come share a conversation and a good cup of coffee and some breakfast, and we'll see you there. Hey, we have a, a neat opportunity. The um, Our youth director, David, uh, works, yeah, David. <laughs> I, I like the yay. Everybody, that went really well. So David is really uh, um, involved over at Seaside High School with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Bible Club and connecting kids and all of that. And, and as part of that is also connected with the youth ministry at uh, the Assembly of God Church, just one church up, he'll be here. And they are doing something that is pretty exciting, and we want to be a part of it. So they are uh, gathering um, gift cards for the families at Delray Woods. I don't know if you know Delray Woods. It is the elementary school in our neighborhood. Please pray for Delray Woods. A lot of kids there on free lunch and have come from families that have some pretty serious needs, and um, they're in our neighborhood. And so any chance we have to bless them, in fact— we used to have kind of a a big presence at Delray Woods and then some of the leadership changed and we weren't welcome to have that same kind of presence anymore. So we're always praying. Maybe that somebody in our congregation would be excited about starting a good news club there. Or maybe somebody in our congregation would have an, uh, have a good idea about how we could be a blessing to that school. This is a neat little easy way to do that. So the big idea is that we would get $25 gift cards, either just like Visa, MasterCard, whatever, just money. Or from uh, Target or from Safeway or someplace that you thought, hey, if this was the difference between you know, having a Christmas morning or not having a Christmas morning, taking some of the pressure off of families that are, are slugging it out and raising kids and doing all the young family stuff and are really feeling extra burden this season, feel free. You could put a little note that says, uh, you know, Lighthouse Baptist loves you or even Jesus loves you, um, but nothing too uh, fancy, just a $25 gift card that, um, that will be distributed towards the end of the semester up there at Delray Woods. Um, so if while you're out shopping, you wanted to do that. And if you say, I want to give a $100 gift card, then buy four $25 gift cards. The, uh, the assignment is 24, $25 uh, gift cards. And uh, there's a box in the back that I asked Tiffany to put in the way so you would trip over it. On your way in and out. So it's really obvious. It's decorated like a Christmas present. And just over the next, we only have a few Sundays. I think the 15th is the the due date on this particular assignment. So just over the next couple of weeks, if um, you should feel so led, uh, I think it's a really exciting opportunity to bless families in our neighborhood. So I think that's all I have to say about that. Um, I hope you're inviting some friends to the Christmas Eve service. We have, uh, again, some invitations in your... Um, Uh, in your bulletin if you would just put that in your neighbor's mailbox or use it as an opportunity to invite uh, uh, somebody at your office or something like that. Over the Advent season, we just think it's a really neat opportunity to invite the world. There's a little, you know, a little connection point. We're all experiencing Christmas together, and that's a pretty neat connection point, opportunity to, um, to just invite your friends to church. All right, if you're new around here, there's a blue card in front of you. We'd love to get to know you if you would um, fill that out. The giving boxes are in the back for your uh, regular offerings and, and, uh, and gifts. With all of that said, this is the first Sunday of Advent. We have a tradition around here where we light the Advent candles, but I need help doing it. So kids, would you please come up to the stage with me and we will light the candle together. All the way up here. Come on up here, guys. You guys remember this book from last year? Yeah, that's called A Tradition, where we read the same thing every year. How are you guys? Wow, it's good to see all of you. Hey, uh, we want you to know that all of the, the big, weird people at church, all the adults, we're really grateful to have kids at our church. We really like you. We're, we're glad you're here. Yeah. Now. So how long till Christmas? Anybody know? I don't know. You don't know? I have no idea. Like a month or something? Some... Six months. Six months. Oh, thank goodness. That is that is more than enough time.
1: Next month is only white. We
0: like mental note, ask less questions. like white candle on Christmas. We're good. That's right. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna light the candles. We're gonna go purple, purple, pink, purple. that she will give birth to the son and you will call him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins and that idea that Jesus came so we would be saved from our sins that is a very happy idea it gives us a lot of hope and so the first candle we're going to light is the candle of hope Teddy do you want to light this candle with me? yeah do you? alright I'll meet you over there it's that candle right over there come here you got it Well, that's true. There's more people than there are candles, isn't there? Yeah, I don't care. Okay, (laughs) that a girl. There you go. Why don't you, you can just use, yeah, we'll hold it together. All right. Thank you, Teddy. Good job. You know, to remind you guys that this is a season of hope. It's a season where we look forward to things. It's a season where we're excited about what Jesus has done. I have a present for you. And uh, we have people smart enough to know that these are not glass. These are plastic. That's very honest. um. But what does that say on it? Can anybody read that? Oh, oh, it says hope. So you can hang this if you have a Christmas tree or if you have someplace in your room. Yeah, probably most of us are. That's right. Um, three Christmas trees. Any other Christmas tree comments? Yes. I'm going to get a Christmas tree today. Very good. Okay. Well, here you go. You can hang this either on a tree or somewhere else, but it'll remind you that this is a season not just to be excited about the stuff we're going to get or the the parties we're going to have or time off of school or whatever, but this is a time to remember that we are hopeful because Jesus came to save us from our sins. So can I pray for you? And then I'm going to give you each one of these, and then you can go off to Children's Church. Sound good? Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you for these kids. Lord, I do pray that this story would be deeply embedded in their hearts that this would be a foundational story that they would um, understand as, as a, you know, a keystone for their whole life, that you loved us enough that you would become a man. Start not as a, um, the king in the palace, but as a little baby in the middle of nowhere in a, in a manger. God, thank you for your great love that really does give us hope. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, why don't we have a three minute party? You guys can stand up and greet each other, and kids, you can grab a Christmas ornament, and then I hope we. You've broken down, there were chains around us. By your grace we are no longer bound, no longer bound. you call called me out of the grave, you call called me into the light. you call called my name and then my heart came alive. Your love is greater, your love is stronger, your love awakens, awakens. shaking all the dead are coming back to life back to life hear the song awaken all creation singing we're alive cause you're
1: alive
0: you call me out of the grave you call me into the light, you call my name and then my heart came Shout it out, we're alive cause you're alive What a love we found, death can't hold us down We shout it out, we're alive cause you're alive Wastelands and wastelands and people afar, come drink from the stream in the garden of God. Come lepers and thieves, come and answer the call, find a place at the feast with the Savior of all. Shepherds and sheep and the scruffiest dogs Find green pastures on the mountain of God Come beat up and worn out who can't take no more Find peace and rest in the yoke of your Lord The distance caused by Has been done away in him the great righteous teachers lay down yourselves. Give up on your goodness. Give up on your wealth. Come all you faithful with true broken hearts. Come to your Savior for the precious of stars. The distance caused by Christmas. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his heart. draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord. his holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. I will worship your
1: Like the psalmist said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And we do bless your name today, Lord. Father, we just ask that you would be with this service, that you would speak to us through Pastor Grant. Uh, give us the words you want us to hear, and help us to hear the Lord. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: It's always fun to have kids up on stage. You never know. You know, you never know. It's like uh you don't want them to sit there quiet. But you kind of yeah. <laughs> but it's so much fun. I think one of the one of the reasons it's so fun to have kids in church is this idea of hope. It's you know, it's so nice to know that God is still calling the next generation of people to him that that the you know the 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 witness of the Holy Spirit will not die with our generation, but God is faithful to call people to him. And that is fun. And it's fun to get kids thinking about more than, you know, I mean, presents are fun too, but it's, it's, it's fun to get kids thinking about what a Christian perspective is on Christmas and, and a Christian perspective on the incarnation. Like it's a really big deal that God became man. We think a lot about Jesus. We talk a lot about Jesus. And so to once a year to set a few weeks aside to to focus on what it means to live in light of the Incarnation. is It is a thing that, that brings a lot of hope. And the first candle we, we lit today was the, the candle that reminds us about the hope of Christmas. And I, so I went kind of, you know, just deep diving into the concept of hope this week. And, you know, the, the University of Chicago that tracks this kind of thing they have like people broken into every category, you know, like single parent families that prefer Kraft macaroni and cheese to homemade. Like what? Like every kind of category, every age group, every mix of everything, everything. And they have all these charts on you know their website that say this is the the hope index or the people, the percentage of people in this category that that have a deeper sense of hopefulness. And all the charts look the same for the last couple of years. You know, I, I don't think this is any surprise. Like 2019 January, like the hope level is. Uh, see, no, that was pretty low. And then to the end of 2019, we're all feeling pretty good. Like that. That feels pretty. And then something happened at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And you go, January, I should do this this way for you, January of 2020, and then like the index just goes, bloop, you know, it's like 30% of people feel any sense of hope in the end of 2020. And so like over the last couple of years, it's like, yeah, we felt a little more, oh no, we don't feel hopeful anymore. And 2021 was kind of all over the place. The chart of 2021 is like, we feel great, we feel terrible, we feel great, everything's going to be okay, nothing's going to be okay. That's been the general sense. I don't think we have to like, I think we all could answer, well, why do you think that is in our society? You know, it's, it's kind of been like that. And in one sense, when I think about hopefulness, I want to be a person of hope. That's the big idea of the, the message today is you have reason to be a person of hope. But even more than that, I want off the roller coaster. I want off the idea that my hopefulness should depend on what's going on around me. I want to live my life not like I have hope for my future as long as, you know, everything seems to be going okay and the economy's good and my, I feel safe or whatever it is. Um, and I have less hope if all that stuff is not good. I would love to grow into be the person. I would love for us to be the kind of people that just have a deep abiding sense of hope. Like I've said this many times before, but I think one of the most most profound things a Christian can realize is that it's going to be okay. That what is happening around us is not what our sense of hope should be based on, but rather there's something more profound that is happening in the universe that gives us reason to hope. And so the ups and downs of life be they extreme and exaggerated, or be they little bumps and I didn't get the parking spot at the mall, you know, whatever it is, that I have a deep and abiding sense of hope. So I just really have five things to say to you today. First of all, people need hope. Second of all, there's a reason people need hope. I want to think about that a little. Why do we need hope? We, shouldn't, we, shouldn't we be okay in this world? Like, if we're made for this world, why are we always looking forward to stuff? Why is it we're never quite satisfied in this world? So people need hope. There's a reason people need hope. And then there's a reason to be hopeful. No matter what's going on in our country, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in, the, in your peer group, we have reason to be hopeful. And then I want to look at why Christmas is a big part of that and, and how we might prepare ourselves over the season of Advent to be people who live as people with hope. That whatever's going on in the culture, if the University of Chicago calls us and go, hey, do you have hope for the future? We'd go, yeah, I do. There's some more work. There's a journal article I read this week, and I don't usually, I don't usually spend a lot of time looking at psychological journal, journals for, for sermon stuff, but I did a deep dive on hope. How are we feeling as a world? And so this, this journal article references um, a guy named Charles Snyder who has done a whole bunch of um, of, uh, work in this idea of hope, what gives people hope. And I'd like to read the whole 3000 page journal article to you right now. It begins like this, (laughs) but so this, his work will be referenced as we go, but listen to this, see if this rings true. Hope is associated. So this is the first big idea is that people need hope. Do you guys believe that? Like, am I breaking new ground there? You need hope. And here's proof. Hope is associated with many positive outcomes, including greater happiness, better academic achievement, and even lowered risk of death. It's a necessary ingredient for getting through tough times, of course, but also for meeting everyday goals. Everyone benefits from having hope, and uh, psychologist research suggests almost anyone can be taught to be more hopeful. That fascinates me. Hope doesn't relate to IQ or to income. Uh, says psycholo- uh, psychologist Shane Lopez, a senior scientist at Gallup and author of the 2013 book Making hope, uh, *Making hope Happen*. Hope has an equal is an equal opportunity resource. But precisely what is hope? Most psychologists who study the feeling favor the definition developed by the late Charles Snyder, a psychologist in, uh, in the University of Kansas and a pioneer in hope research. That is a good job, by the way. Hope research. His model of hope has three components. Goals, agency, and pathways. Put simply, agency is our ability to shape our lives, belief that we can make things happen, and um, and the motivation to reach a desired outcome. The pathways are how we get there, the routes and plans that allow us to achieve the goal, whether that's adopting a child, finding a better job, surviving a hurricane, or just losing a few pounds. There's some pretty interesting stuff in there. And again, I, I have no desire to preach psychology. That's for somebody else, some other time. I have a desire to preach the scriptures. But just this, there's some, there's some wisdom there. There's some earthly wisdom that I, I really latched onto this week. In particular, hope doesn't relate to IQ or income. Isn't that both fascinating, incredibly encouraging, and also incredibly depressing? Wouldn't we kind of intuitively feel like the brilliant and the wealthy and the handsome might have just higher levels of hopefulness? But that's not true. It's quite the opposite. It is totally possible to be wealthy and handsome and have everything going for you and still have a sense of hopelessness. It is also absolutely possible to have none of those things, to be broke and simple and funny looking. Praise the Lord. (laughs) And still have a deep sense of hope. So hope is not only something that we all know we need. We all desire to feel hopeful. It is something that we all have the capacity to do. We all can feel hopeful, but maybe the problem is we just aren't very good at knowing how to get there. Did you hear those his Snyder's definition of of hope? It includes goals. So, you need to be moving somewhere. You need to have the idea that today's not the best your life is ever going to be, but that someday something might happen that makes you more at peace, more, have a more sense of fulfillment, that you can imagine a better future or at least a future where you would be happy. So it requires goals. It also requires agency. This is the idea that we have control over our futures, that we can really make choices that matter. And it also requires pathways. Not only can I imagine a better life, imagine being in a, a happier, imagine, imagine the world being better, but I also can see ways to get there. So where are you at? If we're doing the poll in here. What's your sense of hopefulness? Can you imagine a journey that ends in a better place? Do you have a sense that there's nothing stopping you from being a person of hope? The second thing I want to tell you is that there's a reason people need hope. Not only do we all need it, but there's a reason people need hope. And One of the things that kind of bugs me a little bit as I read about hope this week is, you know, from this purely earthly wisdom kind of psychology model, like, why do we need hope as much as we do? Shouldn't, if we were a good fit for this world, shouldn't we be okay living in it? Why is imagining that our life could be better so vital? Why are we healthier and more successful and have better lives? Not when we get everything we want, but if we can imagine and believe that we're moving in a direction that's good for us why if we're a good fit for this i don't know if you have any animals in your life i don't feel like they have the same sense i mean they look forward to something you say the word walk in the wrong room and all of a sudden there's a creature very excited you know like they look forward to things but but i don't i've never really sensed that you would look down at the family dog and he's thinking man i just hope someday the the stock market increases you know what i mean i just hope my retirement will be okay you know i don't think so why is it, if we're a good fit for this world, why is it that we need to be on our way to something better? Well, of course, for a believer, this is pretty obvious, isn't it? That we have the story at the beginning of our Bible of the fall, that God made the sun and the moon and the earth, and he said, it is and then he made animals and the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and all the creeping things that crawl along the earth. And he said, it's... And he said, oh, thank you. There's a scholar in the third row. <laughs> and, and he made the, you know, the sun and the moon to, to give us seasons and signs and times. And that too was... And then he made us and put us in the middle to... to, to Uh, you know have dominion over all of this to to be his co-regent in the in the governance of all of this good stuff and with us there it was very good it was so balanced so right one of the reasons the story is so foundational to our understanding of the world is because in order for us to have hope we kind of need to answer a really important question and that question is dude If God is good and powerful, why is the world he made so messed up? Why is it we want more than the world we seem to be situated in? It might be easy to look at the world on any given day and kind of go, man, is this really what God wants? Injustice and pain and sickness and suffering, is this what God was hoping for? But the Genesis account makes it pretty clear what God wants. It makes it pretty clear what God's design intends, and the big idea for today is it makes it pretty clear what God ultimately will have, and that is a good world, a tov world, a world filled with shalom. This is what God designed. This is what God intends, and this is where we're headed. A connection with every time we talk about Eden, I always want to say this, just so it's burned in all of our brains, that the big idea of Eden is there's a connection with God and man, there's a connection with people and other people, and there's a connection with people and nature, that these things are not in conflict, but these things are as they should be, in deep community, blessing each other. See, it's, it's not that we need hope because we aren't satisfied. It's that we aren't satisfied because we were made for more than the suffering and sorrow of the world around us. We were made for better. We were made for tov, for good, for very good. We were made for connection and peace. We were made for shalom and community. Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. One of my favorite words in the Old Testament, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Um, I started... uh, walking through the life of Saul two years ago so eventually I can preach through Ecclesiastes. That's just all I want to do in my life. Um, and Ecclesiastes 3 says that God has put eternity in his heart. That word is olam, and it just means eternity past, eternity future, like the whole ball of wax. There is, so, there is eternity in your heart. How could temporary frustrating lives ever satisfy hearts that were built eternity, for good, for very good. So if we're going to light this candle and not just have it be something that we go, "Wow, that was a fun Christian facade. We'll pretend to be hopeful this time next year too. But if we're actually going to be people who have a deep sense of hope, we're going to have to understand that there's eternity in our hearts. Where are we headed? What are we looking forward to? That's more than what we see around us. I like the model. We need goals. We need some place we're going. We need agency. We, we need to be the one, the ability to make a decision, and we need pathways. We need, we need to see how we get to those goals. There's some earthly wisdom in those words, but they certainly are no match for the eternity that's in your heart. It might help to set some healthy goals to. You know, it broke, it, it, I thought it was mean to, say, lose a few pounds. I didn't think that was, that was kind. But you know, here's the thing. I've lost a few pounds before. and It feels good for a minute. And it's satisfying for a minute. And I've reached other kind of goals before. So have you. We've set goals and we've reached them. But maybe you have found that reaching goals is one of the more depressing things of the world. You reach a goal and you go, ugh, I still have eternity in my heart. And eternity is not what happened as i reached this goal so people need hope you need hope and there's a reason because we have eternity in our hearts and we were made for eden and we live here there's a reason you need hope and most hopefully there is a reason to be hopeful you know, I know this is not a typical Christmas place to turn, but would you turn to the very end of your Bible, to the book of Revelation? And we'll start in Revelation 20. I, you know, I, I, I thought I'll summarize Revelation 20 through 22 this week, and then I realized that that's actually a six-week series, and so I won't be doing that. But, but I thought maybe if we had what we lost in Eden in our mind, and we had what um, we know to be not enough in our in our minds as we think about the the world around us if we might think you know we don't have to set goals that are like hey i want to make a little more money or lose a few pounds or what did it say adopt a child survive a hurricane it's more than that rather there is some place actually satisfying that we are headed there's kind of a thing that that it goes around christian circles that if we think too much about heaven you know, we'll be so heavenly-minded that we'll be of no earthly good. I think that's absolutely wrong. Without heaven, what purpose would there be in doing anything good at all? But rather, if we could use this Sunday where we celebrate the hope of Christmas and go, man, it's not just get through the holiday season and try not to be frustrated and bankrupt, but rather, we could actually think about the journey that we are on to a new heaven and a new earth where there is real and ultimate satisfaction. There is a reason to be hopeful. And I'm not just talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that, that makes it possible for us to have peace in our hearts and joy in our lives. That's absolutely profound, necessary. We talk about it all the time. But today, I would like to talk about the not yet. You know, we talk all the time that theologians say that the kingdom of God is a now but not yet proposition. We talk a lot about the now because we live in the now. We have to understand, how do I have peace in my heart now in the middle of the mess? But man, can we spend today thinking about what is not yet? What is still ahead of us? Revelation 20 in verse 10 tells us a story. It says, and the devil... Who had deceived them? Do you see the callback to Genesis one, and it's not or Genesis three, and it's not just Genesis three. He's telling the story that he's been telling in Revelation, but the the figure of. The one who deceives the nations is still there, and this is the problem. We look at how Eve got tricked in Genesis three, and we go, "I still get tricked that way." The problem is still the same. I still have a hard time trusting God, and I still am selfish in my nature. The problem is still the same. So here's what's ahead for the devil, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were, uh, and and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20 talks about the death of the tempter. Just imagine your life without temptation. Just imagine your life where the love of Jesus that you feel. You know how in your better moments you're like, how, why would I ever sin? I love Jesus so much. What if that was all there was? Skip down to, to verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. And this is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. At the cross, death was defeated. There will be a time when it is completely destroyed. Imagine life without temptation and without death. I just finished this great book by Justin Bass, um, who uh, he spends the whole book talking about the keys of death and Hades, uh, wheeling off of uh, a passage in Revelation 1. And he reminds us that in the first century, death and Hades were not only places, but they were like personified, right? Have you seen the. Uh, Have you seen the cartoon Hercules? Hades is like a, a figure, right? So they had not only Hades as the place of the dead, but Hades was this personification of death. And as the scriptures, as John is talking about what lies ahead for us, he goes, the whole concept of death, death himself, like Jesus didn't just defeat death, like prove he's better, like he beat him up, took his car keys and left. And someday we'll be completely gone. Can you imagine a life? Could you be hopeful if you were moving towards a life without temptation and without death? Look at chapter 21, just the first couple first couple verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were, had passed away, and the sea was no more. The sea is always like the the symbol of confusion and the symbol of of chaos in the ancient world. And so John is saying, as he writes Revelation, he's saying, look, there's going to be this new setup, and it will not have chaos. It will not have confusion. It will have no destruction in it. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Go on to verse uh, verse 3 and i heard a loud voice from the throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god man do you see what's ahead for you christians do you see what's ahead and i want and i'll bring this up um, as we go, but but the the whole big idea in the beginning of the book of Revelation that continues through is this is for those who overcome. This is for those who persevere. There's an acknowledgement of like this is not yet. We're not living this life now, but this is really coming. Does it give you courage? Does it give you hope? Does it give you reason to continue loving Jesus and stay away from sin and continue faithfully with Him? If you understand this is what's ahead, It says the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The new Jerusalem coming down like what? Like a bride, beautifully adorned for her husband. This speaks of the protection available for us, the provision available for us, and the relationship available for the people of God. The bride of Christ finally finding the unity with Christ that we so long for now. The place where God and man dwell together. Did you see that in verse 3? That this will be the place where God himself will be with them as their God. This has been the struggle of all time is where is the place where God and men dwell together? One of the most common questions I get from teenagers is, I want to be able to hear God and I can't. Is there an amen in the house? Although I love him, although I'm committed to him, there seems like there's a distance there. There's a time coming when we'll be as close with Jesus as a bride and a groom. Verse four. Let's read verse four maybe through five or six. "'He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, "'and death shall be no more. "'Neither shall there be mourning, "'nor crying, nor pain anymore, "'for the former things have passed away. "'And he who is seated on the throne said, "'Behold, I'm making all things new. "'Also he said, write this down, "'for these words are trustworthy and true. "'And he said to me, it is done.'" I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. If you knew that there was a place that's right around the corner... And I don't know when this is. I'm not a big calendar guy. I'm not a a guy that enjoys reading the book of Revelation and getting out a map and a calendar and explaining how it's all going to break down. That's just never been... I, I enjoy the conversation that surrounds all of that. But whether it is Christ coming back or whether it is your natural death, this is right around the corner. If you knew for sure that there was a place Where there was no more sorrow. If you knew for sure that there is a place, I can't explain how Jesus wipes every tear from every eye, but I just read it. If you knew that that was coming, would you have courage for today? Would you have hope? Would despair be farther from you? Verse 5 says, the one who sits on the throne says, I'm going to make all things new. We are headed to a place that is not just this world, duct taped and bailing wire and you know, repaired or remodeled, but is the full redemption and reconciliation of what the world was supposed to be. The new Eden, the new Jerusalem. Verse 6 says something that will sound familiar to you. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Do you remember Jesus on the cross saying, "It is finished"? Can I tell you the difference between those two words? On the cross, Jesus used the, or, or it's recorded that uh, the word "finished" in in uh, John 19 is teleo which means to bring to a close. It's like the end of the stage play. The curtain is closed. It's all over. The word that the Alpha and Omega that Christ uses in Revelation 21 is the word done. It doesn't mean um, that it's all over. It means the preparation is over. It's like the grand opening. This is the word you would use if um, if you were building a room addition and let nobody in your house for months and months because there's clutter everywhere and there's and there's dust, and there's drywall all over the place, and, and there's you know no toilet seat on the toilet, and the whole thing you got. Nobody can come over. And then finally, it was pristine. You would say, it is done. The grand opening is here. Let's have a party. That's the word Jesus uses here. There's going to come a time. So here's what happened. Jesus said, looked at his disciples and said, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then on the cross that same night, he said, it is finished. The old covenant is fulfilled. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. And then we look forward to a time where he goes, look, I promised I'd make a place for you. It's finished. It's done. Come on in. Man, would you be hopeful if you were more heavenly minded instead of less? Verse seven and eight, let's keep going. Verse seven and eight says, the one who conquers will have this heritage. That's me and you. This is why hope is so important. How could we be the ones who conquer? How could we be the ones who persevere without our eye on heaven, without an understanding that the the things we go through now are light and temporary afflictions? But the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable... As for murderers and sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. To the one who conquers, remains faithful. This heritage is for you. sonship. Again, it's all about this relationship with God. And then on the one the one who rejects this offer of Jesus people just following their hearts people what the old testament says all the time are doing right what's doing what seems right in their own eyes there is only destruction Man do you remember that hope requires agency that it requires our ability to make a choice as we look at the glory the pleasure the toveness, the goodness of the new heaven and the new earth, you have been given a choice. People have always had a choice. From Adam and Eve to Deuteronomy saying, choose life that you may live to the old testament covenants to jesus looking at matthew and saying follow me and matthew getting up and following him to looking at the rich young ruler and going sell everything and follow me and him not people have always had a choice and you have a choice today man if you haven't would you choose jesus now where is there hope in the grave but oh there is hope and what lives beyond the grave for those that conquer For those that overcome, for those who persevere. Verse 9 through 27 describes this new Jerusalem. Let me just hit some highlights for you. In verse 9, there's this this bride language again. Then uh, came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. The wife, the bride of the Lamb. I don't know if any of you guys are married. I actually do know some of you are married. But um, but I don't know if you remember that moment where the door's open and your bride's walking down and you just go, ah, this is the good life. This is relationship at its finest. This is full of hope and beauty and wonder. This is the image. That kind of relationship with God. I mean, do you have hope? Verse 12 through 13, I won't read it to you, I'll just tell you about it. Verse 12 through 13 describes the the gates in the New Jerusalem and It says there's 12 gates, three on each side, which is great. It's all the points of the compass. The new Jerusalem is going to be open to all people from every direction of the compass. And on those gates are the 12 names of the tribe of Israel. So God still is remaining faithful to his people. This is not a rejection. This is not a new plan. This is a steady and faithful plan of God from the beginning, from Genesis 3 to Abraham, to Moses, to David, to ultimately all the fulfillment in Christ that all of the promises of God come true. Verse 14 and following, 14 and 15, talk about the the foundations of the new Jerusalem. And, And it says the names of the apostles of the Lamb are on there. So so you see the gates have the Old Testament family of God. The foundation has the New Testament family of God represented. The beautiful bride of Jesus will finally be physically united with Christ, both Old and New Testament saints. Does this sound like any fun to you at all? Not only that, I mean, do you have any hope in this? Can you get through today if this is what's ahead for you? Verse 16 talks about the size of the New Jerusalem, and it, there's two big ideas. It's enormous, and it's square. It's they measure it out, and it's like 1,500 miles square, right? So I, I did some uh, math. Um, Tokyo's the biggest square mileage uh, of any any city, and it's like. 3,300 square miles, all of Israel. So if you would think of the, the people that John's writing to as they have Israel as kind of their, their paradigm, all of Israel is 8,555 miles. The New Jerusalem uh, walks out to like 2.25 million square miles. It's Bible for just like on and, on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Just like forever, it's big enough for everybody. And not only that it's square. Isn't that crazy that it's square? Do you know how important it is that it's square? Because the temple was a rectangle. But the holy of holies, where God resides, is a square. You throw in all of the 12s that are in there, the number 12 in there so much, the number 144 in there so much. This is just so clearly John going, look, God, like the holy of holies, none of us can even get into the holy of holies. But the new heaven and new earth is all the holy of holies. The very presence of God. Available in such a big plot of land, there's room for everybody. Gates and foundations that encompass the whole family of God for all time. Can you get through today if this is what's coming? Do you know why we have hope? Do you remember how the presence of God started in a garden? It wasn't the whole earth, it was just a garden. We know it wasn't the whole earth because they got kicked out <laughs> and didn't go to Narnia. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> the presence of God was a garden and the idea that, it, that the presence of God would grow. Go fill the earth. This isn't the whole earth, this is part of the earth, go fill the earth. And then the... Presence of God rested in one family, in Abraham and his family, and that was intended to grow and spread. And then that the presence of God was intended to, or did rest in the tabernacle, in the most holy place, in the Ark of the Covenant. That was supposed to be the one place where the the Spirit of God was, and, and Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. It was supposed to spread. And someday, Eden, the temple, the place where people and God live in harmony together will encompass the whole earth. I mean, are you homesick? I mean, can you get through today? Do you have hope as you look at the manger and see the promise of all of that? Just real quickly, let me read... uh, 22 to 27. This, this, uh, this is John's big idea that the temple is the whole thing, the whole new heaven and new earth, the whole Jerusalem. This is, this is all the temple. This is all the place where God and people are together. Look at starting in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. Why is there no temple? Because you don't need a temple if God's presence is everywhere. The whole thing's a temple. For its temple is the well, he's going to tell us for its temple is the lord god the almighty and the lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it this of course is a reference to um the the you know the shekinah glory the 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 light and the presence all old testament kind of uh several old testament kind of uh, theophanies when god is there there's light and glory coming off but more than that the sun and the moon were to govern to govern the night and the day Well, god's going to govern the night and the day just personally for the glory of god gives it light and is the lamp and its lamp is the lamb by its light will the nations walk now that if you're a jewish kid named john going oh the nations are going to be available they're not he's not just talking about like every country with a name he's talking about all of the nations that opposed Israel for all of their history. They will even have a spot in the presence of the Lamb. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And, it, and its gates will never be shut by day. I've heard comedians joke about what kind of a neighborhood is heaven in that it has to have walls and gates. Um, but, oh that was a joke, that one funny. Right. Time out, let me write this down for next time. Um, but this was the glory of a city in the ancient world to have splendid gates where you'd be walking up to the city and just see it coming and be like oh this must be a great place look at how splendid its walls and gates are so the gates are beautiful and splendid and bejeweled and have pearls and all of this but they're never shut they're open to you to me and there will be no night there and they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations again the intent in Eden was to fill the earth and now we find that the earth has been filled with the glory of God. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does, does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. My friends, how do we live in the hope of our names being written in the Lamb's book of life and how do we live with the urgency of people around us not having their names? Written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Well, let's talk about Christmas real quick. Why would we kick off the Advent season talking about the hope of the new heaven and the new earth? Well, the hope of heaven is really the hope of connection with God, that we will be invited into the Holy of Holies. Connection with each other in a world that is good, that is tov. The hope of heaven is really the hope of Eden, that we'll be in a place like that. the hope that God would be with us. And so when we look at Christmas and we hear that his name will be Emmanuel, God with us, we see not only the Savior that saves us from our sins, but we see the one who brings the reality of God and man dwelling together. Emmanuel, God with us. Hebrews 7 says that Christ is our guarantor of a better covenant. We can trust that what John is writing is not just science fiction because it's not about us earning all of that, but rather that the kingdom of God has come crashing into our world in the manger. God has once again claimed territory to be the place where he And people will dwell in peace, but this time it isn't a garden or an ark. It is his only begotten Son. We don't just celebrate that Jesus came to forgive our sins, we celebrate that God has made a way for us to dwell with him. In Christ, we have a goal, we have a place. We have agency. We have a choice really to make. We have a pathway. Jesus is the way, the way to the life we want. So what do we do in this season? Christmas is a month away, something like that. How could you and I live lives of hope? How could we make this a season not just of hope going through the motions, but of really becoming people who go, okay, what's the name of the next variant? All right, well, we'll get through that too. And what, what did somebody say and how bad was it? Okay. and Oh, there's good news and there's bad news. And get off of the roller coaster. But rather be people with deep abiding hope, going, uh, saying, I know what the future holds. Not only that I trust Jesus, but I've been told what it'll be like. And it sounds great. First, let's understand both the warning and the offer. The offer is incredible. Jesus is preparing a place. And we get a picture of what it's going to be like. It sounds amazing. We're invited into the presence of God. But the warning is just as severe that if you want to live for yourself, to have your heart bent away from God, then that too will extend to eternity. And then we'll preach Dr. Snyder's words back to him and say, if hope is a byproduct of having a goal and having agency and having a pathway, would you even right now choose a goal? Is your goal the new heaven and the new earth or is your goal to make a name for yourself in this one? You can have the glory of the new heaven and new earth. You could probably also make a name for yourself in this one, but maybe not both. What is your goal? Is your goal legacy? Is your goal achievement? Or can you set your eye on Jesus and say, Jesus, I just trust what you have for me? Not all hope is the same. You can live your life moving one self-improvement goal to the next Or you can fix your eyes on Jesus. You can get rattled with every news cycle or you can rest in the assurance of Jesus. You can live so that your name gets remembered here, you have a legacy, or so that your name is written in the book of life. What's your goal? How do your actions bear out that goal? What is it that you really want? What is it that you're really hoping for? I think the statistics are pretty clear that hope rises and falls as the ability to live a good life here and now comes and goes. Can we be people who get off of that roller coaster? Exercise your agency. Make choices that line up with the goal. Um, Jesus came for you. We feel hopeless because we set our desires on the good life here and now. And quite frankly, that's just not available to very many people. And it's not available to anybody for very long, but what if we would choose Jesus, really choose him and say, my hope is in you no matter what. And then what if that turned into a pathway, a way of life where it wasn't just I choose Jesus, but my path is going to be decided by every moment and every you know, external factor, but rather you said, Now, this is what faith is going to look like for me. And we'll talk about faith next week. But this is what faith is going to look like for me, is I'm going to follow Jesus, not just as a system of thought, but as a way to live. That I'm going to build on this foundation of Christ in my life. And it's not going to be wood, hay, and stubble. It's not going to be things that... That leave at the end of my life. Rather, it's going to be that I am going to, to follow Jesus. I'm going to live like him. I'm going to forgive everybody that he has forgiven. I'm not hating anybody Jesus hate, doesn't hate. I'm not love, I'm, I'm only going to love people that Jesus loves. Like I am going to reflect him, forgiveness and self-denial and blessing people. That will be my path because that is the path that Jesus laid out for me, and that's being a person of hope. So, you can't really say, I have the hope of heaven, and then live by the rules of here and now. I'm praying that this would be a season of hope for us. Laughter. Why would we not tell more jokes if we really believed that the new heaven and the new earth is what's available to us? Why would we not be lighthearted? I know there's Psalms of Lament. I've preached on it. I love the Psalms of Lament. I'm kind of down all the time. I, I, I love, I, my favorite thing in the morning is to get up and be depressed. I love it. I just, it, it feeds who I really am. But, but why wouldn't we constantly be reminded that these light and momentary afflictions are just not the reality? That we are headed to someplace that Jesus has prepared for us. That someday he'll say, hey, it's finished. Come on in. So when we look at the manger, (laughs) that's for question and answer day. I would love to answer that, but everybody will be super mad if I take the next hour and a half to answer that question. (laughs) If you'd like to stay late... (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I want I always, I always think I wonder what the YouTubers are thinking. <laughs> let's be people of hope. Let's not just celebrate the manger and the incarnation as something that happened 2,000 years ago. But with a twinkle in our eye, let's go, that's the guarantee that things are going to be okay. Here we're going to sing a song about throwing our crowns at jesus feet we're going to sing all hail would you with a joyful heart sing it with us let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, would you put deep in our hearts an understanding that the world's gonna be great? Lord, that we are, that there's frustration, that there's a lack of hope now because we were built for more than this. This is not the way we were intended to live. It's not supposed to be filled with sorrow and disconnection and frustration and all that stuff. And we can look forward to a day when all of that is gone. Lord, may every, for us this week, may every instance of us running into this world and the frustrations of it and the disappointments of it May that not be something that feels like it's the end, the end for us, but rather may it be a signpost that reminds us that we're headed someplace beautiful. Lord, help us to live our lives, not trying to conquer this world, but that we might be prepared for the next one so that we might be useful in this one. I love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand up? all hail the power of jesus name let angels prostrate fall bring forth the sacred throng we at his his feet feet may fall we'll join the everlasting song hope this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.